0: Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique.
1: It's Saturday again. Again. We're so excited. Love Saturdays. This is all the things. All the Welcome things to all the things. I am Monique Dusan. The script is After right here. Mike, Monique. Well, okay, see? Get, <laughs> well, we always have to on. get adjusted here. Yeah, on, on, just, you know,
2: while we show everyone. All right. <laughs> this is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Yes, from a historic Christian point of view. I'm still Monique Dussain. Yes, and I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. Everyone raise your hand if you remember... The old days before Monique had a website, <laughs> before she had a Twitter account, before anybody knew who she was. Yes, testify. All oh, the old now, days. Now her following's like three times as big as mine. It's fabulous here you we know. are uh, we want to uh, let you know that Bob is joining us behind the scenes oh you don't have your camera Mo- keeps Monique stole his camera So, wow it's like it's like don't be nice to Monique night. Like,
1: my goodness Maybe I, I don't know I feel like I should just kind of slide under the table just, just kind of go away my, you, my goodness you know yes I have the I have the camera I'm sorry
2: but Bob is here he's switching the buttons uh, join us on the live chat over on YouTube at The Theology Mom. We have our guest moderators tonight. Our friend Caleb is joining us from Engaged Truth and the fabulous Emily Bontrager. Ah! <laughs> yes. No, no, Shane. We didn't give Caleb no cheer. Come on, oh, Caleb. Yay. yay. <laughs> I so glad. Seeing all our friends checking in. Jeremy's there. Yeah, yes. Hey, Vanessa. Hey, Brian. Oh, our friends, Zach. And is it Yente? Yente. Yente. Yes. All right. Joining us from Portland, the home of peaceful protests for almost 60 days now. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and on the Center for Biblical Unity site,
2: um, Kelly and Wendy have checked in. Awesome. Hello, hello. Be sure all to right. hit that thumbs up, uh, hit the like button, hit the share button, comment. And all of those things help our algorithms because we are pretty sure, and you're going to see at the end of the show, that Facebook is censoring us. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> Y'all, they're coming strong for your sister. Yes. I'm like, my goodness.
2: So we need you to help b- our our analytics and interact with us. So all of those things help people find us um, on, on the show. So this show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, the, the Theology Mom podcast. Center
1: for Biblical Unity. And center
2: family 210 clothing in yes. fact we got swag we got a lot of swag support the center for biblical unity You can just go on center for biblical backslash merch we have a lot more merch than just the, the
1: t-shirts you can get t-shirts hoodies tank tops you need a face mask you, you know i don't know you whatever you need we got it coffee got mug it. yeah shoelaces uh, i don't know
2: <laughs> we even have some pictures Let's show some pictures of people with their swag. There we go. Looking good. Showing their pride in CFBU. There's Chris and his wife. That's awesome. I think they're some of our partners. Now, see, I love this gal. She's got her shirt and the Just Thinking podcast hat. Yes. Repping for Virgil. There we go. Virgil and Daryl. There's our friend Allison, our production assistant, who's helping us every week write the show notes. Yes out for a bike ride. That's Shreya, We had a, I had a funny conversation. She posted this picture
1: on Twitter and I, I DM'd her and was like, hey, can I share this? And she was like, sure. She's like, I'm going to tell my mom. And I was like, well, I'll just call her. Like, like I can tell her. You just send me your number. You know, I won't do anything <laughs> weird. I'll just give her a call. And she was like, she's going to die. And I was like, well, we don't, we do don't want to die. That. <laughs> but it was so fun. It was a really cool conversation. We surprised her mom. Yeah. Well, yeah. Her mom is Angie. And so we had yeah. a really good little chat and,
2: um, yeah, thankful for Sharia. So $5 of every purchase goes to help support the launch of the Center for Biblical Unity and develop new resources. So, yes, big things are happening. Be sure to watch all the way to the end of the show so you can see what's happening with us. Okay.
1: Yes, and, and I mean, it could be to your benefit, like truly to your benefit, to stay to the end. Yes. 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 All right, so tonight we're talking about scientific racism
2: yeah which is might be kind of a new term for some people yeah um it
1: it's, it's a new term for me and i've been talking about race and racism for a long time <laughs> i'm
2: like is my dna racist against me like what's going on <laughs> what's happening here so yeah so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about eugenics we're going to talk about darwinism yeah uh, Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. They was trying to
1: take my people
2: out. Yes. <laughs> not
1: hey, if we want to talk about real racism, let's talk about eugenics. Let's talk about Margaret Sanger.
2: Yeah. Please, who was know. in the in the news this week? So I we're going to talk say about what it. I was
1: going to say. So let's
2: get our friend Dr. Joseph Miller on the Zoom machine. See if we can fire that up. I'm there here. we are. Hello.
3: Uh-huh. Hey Joe. Hello. Thank I you for being you. here. Hey, I'm glad to be here. You guys uh, love the spirit of your show, love what you guys are about, and uh, enjoyed it for the time I've been listening. So, oh, that's great! Thank
2: you so much. And we want to just let everybody know that you're a minister with Ratio Christi, which is a campus yeah. uh, kind of apologetics group. We've had our friend Jane Pantig on before from Ratio Christi. Jane and Joe actually co-host. A podcast together but I don't want to get too far ahead yeah, but the yeah. seat called off the cuff I think yes
3: yeah yes yeah oh and Jane's in the comments great on the chat I t- she's gonna say mean things about me so don't listen <laughs> to anything she says uh she told me on our show we just finished our show she's like I'm gonna come over and roast you
2: all right so uh Joe's with uh his website is more than dot org and you can check out his podcast and we're gonna talk a little bit about your area of expertise tonight, Joe. Uh, why don't you start by giving us a little bit about you, let our listeners get to know you, tell us about your background and, and how you came to be interested in questions related to, to race and eugenics and Darwinism and that sort of thing. Yeah,
3: Yeah, it's been a long, circuitous journey, you know, all the roundabouts we take in life. But uh, I started off my uh, life, you know, career, I guess, academic career. I was going to Penn State uh, back in the day for engineering and got involved in ministry there with uh, a campus group and ended up feeling called to ministry. So I w- finished uh, a long five-year degree and, uh, and then ended up going into seminary, did an MDiv. Uh, I was out in Oklahoma. I worked at a Chinese church actually down there as a youth guy. Uh, ended up uh, in ministry in the state of Washington, uh, I used to do a consulting for churches, building facilities. It paid a lot of bills over the years, and decided hey, I want to do my DMin. And so, I uh, sold my company and and started to do take my DMin and and focus on really leadership development for church planting. Uh, planted a few churches over the years, and then came to San Diego after a long bit and started teaching down here. I was actually teaching uh, in college seminary for about eight nine years. Uh, worked as an online guy for a dean for online. And in the midst of that, realized, hey, I want to keep teaching. I want to keep involved and uh, did another master's uh, in science and religion. Uh, and, and my thesis was really on Hebrew cosmology, which got me interested in Adam and Eve stuff. Uh, and then that sort of led down this road where I uh, ended up doing a PhD now. And my focus really ended up being on how the historic Adam and Eve uh, being the best case, I think, provides us the best argument both uh, against racism and for racial reconciliation. And so, this whole long route of theology through philosophy and science and all kind of came together at this point. And I, when I started that a few years ago, who knew it would be so relevant uh, for our discussions today? Right. So, right. It's, uh, it's well,
2: great. maybe a good place to start. I see your sign there behind you, Imago yeah. Day. Why don't you tell us about that and the connection to Adam and Eve? Because that'll set a good kind of theological foundation for what we're going to talk about tonight.
3: Yeah. So as I started working on, you know, like he starts to write all this crazy stuff and it's real, you know, academic and there's a lot of philosophy and science and stuff that goes in for these academic things. You say, well, how does this relate? You know, i am 20 some years in pastoral ministry. The the real question is the study is for me. The question is how do I relate it to other people? And so uh, as I started to do all these talks and different things that like we're talking about today, Uh, I started, I actually first connected it to this, the shirt, the the Bethlehem Elohim, which is out of Genesis 127, which means in the image of God. And uh, this was another design that I have. So I made this shirt, I made this design, Imago Dei is the Latin version of that. And this one is focused on the idea that male and female are are both necessary for uh, reflecting the fullness of God's image. It's not even though I as an individual do, but we need male and female. And so I started to come up with these designs and some shirts and some other stuff to just say, how do I start a conversation uh, that's focused not on the divisive stuff like the culture is, whether it's the black lives matter or all lives matter or blue lives matter, all these things, these are all in some part political statements, but this is a deep theological statement of the truth of, of who we are in, in God. And that. That to me is the, the the beginning point of these conversations about race and racism and racial reconciliation being the ultimate goal, because this idea, how we're created in God's image and made with intrinsic sacredness that can't be taken away.
1: Mm, amen. That's good. I think um, when, when I've talked about... No. When I've talked about um, the <laughs> yes, <laughs> the divisions and things like that, and how do we move forward? I think understanding our identity, understanding that we are all first created, mm-hmm. you know, in His image, gives us such a, a good starting place to talk about things like unity um, or oneness and and going along a road that we can develop together when we don't start from these um, arbitrary places or um, places as defined Mm -hmm. by culture. So I love that. Um, I kind of want to switch gears and start to dig in a little bit. So can you define exactly what eugenics is? I know know what it is now. I was a little (laughs) skeptical at first, but I do know what it is. And Um, How has it been practiced in, in America? Like, would I regularly know it if I saw it? What Like, is it still being practiced?
3: Yeah, you know, it's one of those hidden parts of American history. You know, it's funny, we're in this woke culture. Everybody wants to know, like, bring out the skeletons. But this is one of those skeletons that nobody really wants to talk about on the woke side because it works against... The narrative, a lot that's being presented out there in our college campuses and uh, in those in those contexts. So, just the real quick skinny on that is: so uh, there's a guy named uh, uh, Francis Galton in, in the UK. He was actually Charles Darwin's cousin, okay. and he coined this term eugenics, uh, which was really he described as like it's a scientific program for race hygiene. So, throughout race the 20th hygiene. Century, wow, yeah, that's, race hygiene. That's qu- quite a term.
2: Okay, right.
3: yeah, All I, right. I actually love that term that was used because it's so vivid in describing what they wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, now we have to define race, and, and I want to get to that in just a minute because it's not quite what we use it for the same way. But this idea of race hygiene. Uh, started to grow and he argued, Galton argued that evolution basically was this sort of blind eugenics. So the idea of natural selection, uh, this process of survival for the fittest, that's nature's sort of blind eugenics. And what Galton wanted to do is say, let's have a scientific approach to cooperate with nature and evolution's process of purifying the human race. And that's what his sort of goal was. Um, And it involved things like uh, advocacy for things like changing public policy to limit immigration. Uh, So when we get today, like, okay, so when Trump talks about immigration reform and putting up a border wall, I don't think he has anything of this necessarily in mind. Maybe he does. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know his, I don't, I don't gather that he's a strong historian. Um, So I don't mean this in a political sense, but the reaction we get to wanting to limit immigration from other countries, I think is built into our cultural psychology of like, we know there's something wrong about that in a sense. We don't know why, we just think it's wrong. Well, it's because we go back to eugenics and part of their goal was keep the impure humans, the, the lower evolved humans out so they don't reproduce with the higher evolved white Northern Europeans. So we got to limit immigration. we got to reduce charitable giving, which is another thing, uh, reduce old-age pensions, change insurance practices, uh, and then, of course, you know, policies related to sexual reproduction. And those are all sort of things that were advocated by eugenists as a way to help evolution along to purify the human race. So when you talk about
2: um, – let's just break down the immigration issue to give a practical yeah. example. So – People who were of Northern European descent were looked upon as being more, kind of genetically pure uh, yes. than even those of Southern European descent. Would 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 correct. that be correct? But yeah, based on what qualifiers?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's where you get that's where you know and and people write today. This is a debunked science in the sense of it was foolish, but it was the scientific consensus of the day. And it was all based on phenotypic features. In other words, external features like nose, the shape of, you know, eyes, eye color, eye color, uh, the slope of forehead, you know, Africanized features, you know, the broad nose, those sort of things were all considered lower uh, examples of lower evolved human phenotypes of, of the way we are. So th- this was all in how things were depicted in in, you know, the scientific journals and the articles and, and in the educational institutions. And so based on other features, uh, people that were southern parts of Europe, I, I, I guess, you know, the best I can guess is I think probably because it's closer to Africa, they must be lower evolved. So whatever features they had physically must be, you know, the lower evolved forms. It wasn't, it was terrible science. But it was Darwin's science, and it was the scientific consensus of the day. Matter of fact, I'll give you real quick. This is a funny one. I talk about this one. You know the phrase, um, you know, on, on Charlie Brown, when Lucy always calls Charlie, he says, Charlie Brown, you blockhead. You know, blockhead was a racist term back in the day for Germanic Europeans because they had a more square-shaped head. So because they had this, they called them blockheads, which was a, a racial epithet, you know. So that's, that's the way it built into the culture is fascinating.
2: So we have a comment already uh someone is uh asking on youtube, on YouTube is is, is, it w- is it better to say superior more than pure, pure? um yeah bob uh bob is Courtney, a- yeah. is Courtney, asking yeah. that um yeah and um, they wanted think, to yeah. maintain the purity of the genetically superior people,
3: yeah. So, and this is, again, where this term, what did they mean by race really comes into a thing. And I know we wanted to mention Sanger later, and I saw that in the intro. There's a lot of things that we need to, you know, can look at. But understand this. So when most eugenists were talking about racial purity or racial hygiene, they didn't mean only against white versus black. And that's kind of what we were just talking about. So there was, you know, there were whites that were lower on the evolutionary scale. Asians were, uh, you know, above Uh, black people, but lower than whites. And then you got, you know, uh, Aborigines from Australia or, uh, you know, and you've got other, all these racial groups that go on a spectrum. So all from lower to higher. So whether they would say superior, um, they might not actually say superior in some ways is because Darwin argued that, you know, we're, that we're selected for fitness based on our current environmental conditions. So it wasn't necessarily superior or inferior. And this is why it gets confusing sometimes when we talk about white supremacy as a separate issue, um, because they didn't necessarily feel that whites were superior. They just thought they were better genetically fit. So therefore, they, we wanted to help those stronger, fitter people survive if that makes sense.
2: I'm just so curious as to who decided who was the most fit. Like what? Yeah. Uh, like who was in control <laughs> that said, all right, these are the more fit people than than these people. Yeah. Like, that's that, that that's not clear to me.
1: Too. Yeah. yeah. Like, was there like a
2: council?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no. And this is actually why Darwin's theory was so successful. Um, see, Darwin Darwin traded in these sort of uh, existing racial prejudices and, uh, you know, white supremacist ideas that were common already. And and so just to be clear, Darwin didn't invent racism. When we talk about scientific racism, it wasn't invented by this process. But the the existing prejudices of, say, white Europeans against not, you know, some other white, you know Europeans, but mostly non-white Europeans. Um, those existed, but Darwin used that existing prejudice to persuade people that his scientific theory was valid. So he'd say, "Hey, look, we all know that we, when we look around the world, we see these, you know, these tribes in Africa and how they don't—they're uncivilized. They're—they're they're these clo- They're like beasts, you know. They—they they don't have, you know, they don't wear clothes and they don't have language advanced like we do, and they don't have." The, the ships like we've done. So clearly we all know they're inferior, but this is why, because evolution didn't advance them like they did us. So he used those existing prejudices to convince people, Oh, well, that makes sense. It must be good science.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm still stumped by that. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, did every,
1: here's my question. Did everyone, like, if you held to eugenics um, and to Darwin's belief did everyone believe it like across the board where there like a spectrum like, you, may, you know, maybe the the black Africans, I don't think that they're like uncivilized. I just think that it's hot. But, you yeah. know, I'm still for the superiority of my race. Maybe, you know, was there a spectrum or did everybody kind of just want to get rid of my people? Yeah
3: there definitely is and that's one of these little tricky issues where you know uh, you can have people look back and if it's their favorite person they can sort of ignore or say well they didn't really mean what we think they meant by racism today that kind of stuff so there were certainly a spectrum um, like for example you know there's there's what's called positive eugenics and negative eugenics so positive with eugenics was sort of like hey let people make their own choices we want to certainly promote uh, purity of the races, but we don't want to have government tell, you know, we don't want uh, what's called negative eugenics is just like forced sterilization. We don't want the government going and putting people in concentration camps like Hitler did, who was inspired by eugenics in America, by the way, uh, which was a big part of his inspiration. Um, So there's a big spectrum there as far as what was positive and eugenics and negative eugenics so positive was like hey let people choose but we know there's these differences but i don't really want to uh you know darwin himself was opposed to slavery he was not a fan of the slavery issue uh now he just thought eventually because whites were superior they'd eventually wipe out all the uh the black people but he didn't want us to cooperate necessarily and make that happen but he knew that his theory would allow this to he was he was afraid actually his theories would be used for this sort of negative eugenics purpose uh and he wasn't he, he but he had no moral way to sort of put that put that cap on it, right? He didn't have a way to say, well, this is where we need to stop because the theory in itself had nothing built in that said, well, well why not, you know, make so, the government force. So not
2: all people who hold to Darwinism, I want to be really careful here, um, automatically fall into believing in eugenics. I mean, those, those, those beliefs can be related but they, they don't have to be related. Is, yeah. is that what I'm hearing you say?
3: Yeah. The way I say it is Darwin, Darwinism doesn't entail racism. In other words, if I'm a Darwinist. You have to be a racist. That doesn't. It doesn't. But Darwinism does entail the idea that there are people who are inferior and there are people who are superior. There are some people who are more fit. There are some people who are less fit. So it's just a matter of who you want to pick. So today, no, nobody was, well, that's why they say, you know, eugenics. Oh, we don't believe that anymore. But yet we have the same people like Sanger, uh, or um, I'm trying to think, who's the guy at Yale? Yeah, Sanger, Peter Sanger, um, who, who will argue, hey, you know, up to two years old, we should be able to, a, a parent should be able to decide to kill their child up to two because they're not fully formed. They haven't attained full human personhood. Uh, Hey, when our old people get old and they're, you know, they're sick and they cost too much, uh, we should be able to do away with them and euthanize them. Those are all forms of eugenics. So, uh, and all of those are entailed by Darwinism because there's a, there's a denial of B'Tselem Elohim. There's a denial of human sacredness. There's a denial that we're created, all people in the image of God. And so you're left with picking and choosing which sort of qualities you value and which you don't. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm just wondering, like, what if the quality I value, like my own life, gets outvoted? <laughs> you, <Yeah>. know?
3: <laughs> you know? And then you
1: are out of luck. Yeah. I that, mean that But yeah. I, I, that that brings me back to something that you said earlier about sterilization. Who who were the the groups of people that were sterilized? Was it just like the mentally ill? Did was it um,
2: well not even like, just the mentally ill? That well, sort of frightens yeah. me right there. I yeah. know. I mean, yeah. I
1: mean, like what were what were the the what was the thought behind? Um, even how you select someone who would be sterilized, and did this happen in the states? Like up in, and up until when? Mm-hmm. I oh, I have so many questions. Sorry, I'm just asking them all at one time. Oh,
3: no, that's all right. Yeah, this is this is fascinating. I mean, really is. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're enthusiastic about this because this is something Christians need to understand and learn. Because Christians were just as susceptible to this as anybody else. Mm-hmm. There were Christians who advocated, and I want to get to your question, but I want to make sure people understand this. Because uh, we, we said, hey, just because you're a Darwinist doesn't make you a racist. Well, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you d- you were opposed to eugenics. Um, there were there were competitions in the United States of who could uh, preach the best eugenics sermon, and they would win prizes if they could have the best sermon on how to you know promote eugenics. Uh, there were people who radically shifted all of their theology to account for Darwin's theory and how we could re shape our theology to fit this sort of thing. And, and one of those keys uh, for, all, all, for all these people uh, was that traditional Christian moral values were, were the barrier because Christians would have these, uh, these groups that would help the poor, that would help the hungry, that would help the needy. And that was only propping up nature's you know, trash bin of people. So the idea was was that uh, what they would call them was nature's trash bin. uh, In so many words, many people did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, weeds, uh, you know, that's, that's my paraphrase it, but they were the, they were the low of the low Mm. Uh, and it didn't matter if you were white or black or Asian. Mm. um, If poverty was, was connected to, you know, we said, Hey, if you're poor, it's because there's some sort of biological trait that makes you poor. Mm. If you're mentally ill, ill, we don't want you reproducing because you'll pass on that mental illness to somebody else. Uh, if, if you are a thief or, a, a, you know, if you get caught stealing, there's a genetic predisposition to that because Darwin's idea is there's a sort of, uh, determinism through genetics of who we are. So we don't want you passing on those, uh, you know, stealing genes to your offspring. So it started certainly, I mean, the, the Supreme court, uh, and Bell versus Buck decided, yes, uh, we are going, to, it, it is lawful for, for example, these uh, institutions that held people who are mentally ill to, to sterilize them by force uh, without their consent, because that was helping to make sure that the purity lines of, of humanity stayed pure. Uh, and, and again, they didn't care if you were black or brown or white, if you were mentally ill, they didn't want to, uh, you know corrupting the, the race the human race
2: so what time frame are we talking about here yeah. in America's history yeah. like give me a little bit of a, a snapshot here about what what our yeah. years are roughly.
3: So 1890s, uh, you have a lot of the first moves to limit immigration and a lot of the eugenist advocates, uh, the, the, the Darwinist you know, scientists advocating for, hey, we gotta, we got to control our, our borders so that we're not allowing these people from uh, lower societies uh, to come in and interbreed with white people uh, who are uh, obviously, clearly, obviously clearly more civilized. Uh, And so it started then, uh, but really in in the early 1900s, it really took off. Um, It was one of the it was the really the biggest scientific scientific export of of the United States was uh, this idea of eugenics, and and it wasn't just limited to the West. uh, Just just as an aside, and I'll get to that other time frame as it started to grow, uh, you had these. Darwinian evolutionary ideas picked up in uh, South, in Korea, in China, in Japan, and there's uh, there's great articles by folks who are living in those tracing back this history. That you know the Japanese believed that they were genetically superior to you know the other uh, the Chinese and the Koreans, and so a, a lot of the war, the reason they were allied with Hitler was because of this idea they bought into genetic superiority of the Japanese people. So it wasn't just that we exported that and. So what happened is through the early 20th century, the you know the, uh, we started to grow in this. It started to expand into more laws. Uh, a, a lot of those laws by the by the middle of the 20th century, you had more than 30 plus states had laws against uh, intermarriage. You know, men, mm-hmm. black and white couldn't marry. Inter, interracial Interracial, interracial, interracial. Yeah, yeah. yeah, interracial marriage. And so that was pretty dominant. Uh, what kind of happened is when. when People found out what Hitler was doing, and, and don't get don't get it wrong, eugenists, in their writings, they were envious of what Hitler was able to accomplish. They wrote about, oh man, his programs for racial hygiene are just amazing. I wish we could do it here, but our, we have these sticky laws that keep us from doing this kind of thing. And, you know, we really meant this. But then when it really came out, what, how many people in the concentration camps, the eugenists said, okay, we got to rethink our, our strategy. So you're looking in the 30s, 40s, into the 50s, eugenists, they didn't change, but what they said is we have to kind of come up with a softer, gentler way to maybe. Focus more on the positive eugenics side, as opposed to that negative eugenics. How do we get people to agree to, you know, use, uh, you know, to abort their own children? How do we get people to buy into this so they'll willingly do it and not pass on their bad genes to the next generation?
1: Okay, so then the question that comes <laughs> so, right after that: This is so demonic. I'm really having a hard time here. <laughs> what did they do? Like, what was the plan then to get people to just willingly? abort their children, because it no, sounds I, I, like it would be like like they had to sit down together, maybe a little council and come up yeah. with a plan.
3: Yeah. Um, so because this was so integrated with the science, this is why it, they were able to sort of make things work. So there's a guy like named Charles Davenport. He's a professor at the University of Chicago. Uh, Harvard-educated guy, he he uh, founded this uh, the station for experimental evolution in Cold Springs Harbor, which you guys know is the Cold Springs Harbor in Long Island. That's where Watson and Crick made their discovery. Right. You know their discovery, right? Well, Watson was—I mean—they're both pretty much racist. As a matter of fact, Watson recently got gotten- trouble for some statements, you know, talking about the inferiority of women so th- and other stuff.
2: We should probably but, tell people Watson and Crick were the ones who were instrumental in discovering the, the DNA double DNA, helix. Yeah. And that was a big breakthrough discovery yes. um, in the realm of genetics. So,
3: Yes. And they were you know they were in line with the scientific consensus of the day that was advancing these ideas so because it was so built in it was easy i think to put these eugenic ideas into the mainstream through more positive sounding things like i've read some of the literature where these folks were talking about how hey we need to convince people uh, you know, the, the idea of choice oh it's a woman's choice that started to come out After, of course, what Hitler did was bad and people realized this is not good, we can't force people into this. So we have to say eugenics got together and said, Hey, we need to find a way to show women. This is about their choice. It's for their benefit. They're helping themselves. They don't want to, you know, have this baby born into poverty because they're just pass- passing on the cycle of poverty. So but it's sort of a really- self
2: selection into yeah. it. Yes. Okay.
3: Yes. They built a self selection into it. All right. And that was the, that was the trick. And that's why, and I know like Sanger, that kind of came up and, and maybe we'll come up with that later, but you know, that's why the, the, proponents of Planned Parenthood and the defenders of Sanger have for so long been able to get away because yes, she aligned herself with eugenists when it was convenient. Yes, she spoke with KKK people, but really she was about helping women and she had these positive ways of phrasing it. This is all to help women. But but her heart was eugenic heart. Yeah. She what- realized that this is about purifying, you know, racial, racial hygiene.
1: Well, that's what I would say because if it was, you know, you don't want to... Um, have this baby in poverty, then you look at the demographics of who were the people who were in poverty the most. If those were people of color, then it it would it would just align itself to kind of racially cleanse a whole people group, so to speak. If if we're talking about your choice and being responsible with your child's life or being responsible with the other children that you have. So you definitely don't
2: want to have more children.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I would just like yeah.
1: to
2: read our friend Allison's comment because it kind of sums it up for me right now. She says, what in the world? This is shocking. Yeah, uh, but I, I do want to read a couple of these these uh, comments here that are that are coming in because there's some some good uh, questions that are following yeah. up with but with what we're saying. Um, let's see. Boy, Um jeremy jeremy has a really good observation he's uh youtube yeah jeremy webb he says wow seeing the world through the lens of scripture versus seeing scripture through the lens of worldly wisdom Mm -hmm. and and we're seeing so much of that right now with the crt conversation what an interesting parallel this Mm -hmm. was because many um and I'm curious, like, was it mostly yeah. progressive Christians who were kind of going along with the eugenics? Were conservative Christians going along with this too? Where were the Catholics and the Orthodox? Like maybe you can paint that yeah. picture
3: for us a little bit more. Yeah, so um, this one of the strongest voices against uh, eugenics was really the the Roman Catholic Church in the early twentieth century. Although they had their supporters, uh, you know, uh, one of the studies that I've done on a guy named uh, Pierre Tellard de Chardin, uh, he was a French uh, uh, Catholic uh, priest and he, I uh, mean, also a scientist, you know, he really talked strongly about that. But largely, by and large, the Roman Catholics were against it, part, in large part because they opposed, um, you know, any kind of pills or things like that to prevent women from getting pregnant, right? So uh, because of that, because they believe that life started in conception, they couldn't buy into a lot of these other things that the eugenists were advocating for. And so like the commenter you had there on YouTube is right. When you see it through a Christian worldview that recognizes this Amago Day, this betzalem Elohim, that we are all made in the image of God, that, that life begins at this moment of conception, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, especially if they were a Thomas, which most Roman Catholics were, you know, Thomas Aquinas philosophy don't worry about it but uh, but the, this idea that that it didn't matter if you were a human born with a missing leg you were still a full human because you had this spiritual your, your spirit your your what made you you was still there even if you were mentally not all there you know uh whatever the term is for the you know back then they called it, you know mentally retarded today it's just challenged or you know different words but they said it didn't matter if you didn't have all your mental faculties because you're still fully human you have full human personhood, but to those outside of Christian that christian commitment that commitment to christian faith no that was it was it was bad it was bad they bought into this
2: so uh, a- our friend Amy Davis is asking. She wants to know. She's heard through the media that sterilization was practiced on, was on the Native, Native Americans. Americans. I have read
3: that they were there were some forced sterilization stuff. Uh, I, I have no expertise in that particular side of it. Mostly, it's on the mentally ill that I've read about, and uh, that's where I kind of have my expertise. So I don't want to speak too directly on that, but I'm sure it was done if it was done.
2: All right. Mm. So. All right. Let's I want to just ask you a quick question here is is how widespread was this like was eugenics just sort of this weird fringe group of scientists? Because there's always the fringe scientists. I've worked in science apologetics for over two decades, Mm -hmm. and I know that there's always fringe groups. What was this one of those fringe beliefs or was this more of a mainstream like they were having eugenics parties and stuff
1: yeah they
3: were they were stop it no they were they were no they were okay so let me let me let me back up and give you this little perspective a a lot of people say well this is that was social darwinism wasn't darwin whatever so we already know that darwin's cousin galton was coined the term eugenics and headed up the first one of those the first eugenics societies But Darwin's son, uh, Leonard, replaced Galton as the chairman of the National Eugenic Society in 1911. And that was actually at, you know, you talk about places like Cambridge, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all of those had eugenic societies. All, every major, the National Academy of Sciences, uh, you name it, all had eugenic societies and eugenic connections. Eugenic scientists were leading all of these things. Darwin's other sons, Horace, Francis, and George, they helped lead eugenic societies as well. So this was Darwin's family heritage. This is his this is, all his sons were involved in this stuff. think
1: it, see, yes. it, it seems like his family's crazy, but yet he's trying to come for us. I'ma have you thought about your own family?
2: You probably so need to look at hell, some goodness. things. But I'm gonna try to maintain some some objectivity It is yeah. do you think Darwin would have been disturbed by by his ideas being Applied in this way,
3: yes, he, he was actually okay. he was disturbed by it, and that's the thing about Darwin is, you know, like I said, he opposed slavery, um, and he was not a fan of these sort of positive take. He he didn't believe that we should do these sort of you although they didn't have the term at, you know at the time when he talked about it, but he knew people talked about these sort of things and helping evolution along, and to my if you read his papers and his stuff, he was not a fan of that idea. And he was afraid that his ideas would be used for these things. The problem is there's nothing inherent to his theory that would put a limit on doing these things. You know, so in other words, he had to appeal to his own moral standards and said, well, I, I don't approve of those things, but there's nothing in this idea of survival of the fittest. There's nothing in the idea of you know, the, the strong take over the weak. There's nothing within that. I mean, Darwin himself wrote, as I said earlier, that eventually he thought the, the, the Europeans, the civilized races, would eradicate the uncivilized, the the black, the black peoples. Um, but he also said this, you know, he talked about, he gave an analogy, you know, evolution has no moral standard or compass. You know, so a bee, you know, like the queen bee, after she mates, she can kill, you know, she can kill the little bee she mated with, Right. He said, there's nothing that prevents humans from saying that that would be our moral standard. It's just, it just so happens we evolve differently. So there is no moral ground on which one could oppose eugenics except to have a moral preference against it. And he knew that that was going to be a problem, but he didn't really have a good solution for that.
1: And they were having these eugenics parties well into the mid-20th century?
3: Yeah. So They call I, them societies. You know, the, the an academic yeah. word, not parties. Yeah. That's a mess. It no, was like this... a eugenics turn up Like- Okay. So here's the thing. Darwin in his, in his writings, uh, his analogy for evolution was this idea of breeding. You know, like if we, you know, if we take a herd of cattle and we want to breed the best and not breed the others, this is, this was his analogy for why evolution worked. So people naturally took this idea that, Hey, well, what's, you know, what's good for society? Well, it's not the individual rights. It's not the individual needs. It's what's good for the common good, like a a herd, because we are animals. We need to treat society like a herd of, you know, cows, or if we're a bunch, you know, for dog breeders, or if we're whatever we're trying to do, we're trying to get the strongest and the best to survive. So they used to have these, uh, you'd have like a 4-H, right? You go to the, the county fair, and they got the Holsteins and stuff. And there's quotes. People say, like, hey, look, you go over a couple barns and there's the Holsteins and they're giving prizes for the best cow. We do the same here with the Joneses and the Smiths. We pick out the fittest and the finest, you know, families and we give them awards. Uh, and we show that this is what it is to be a truly, uh, a true society per- pursuing racial hygiene, racial purity, racial excellence.
1: Now, what Woody, okay. How do you think, or do you even think that this frame of thought from, disturbed from by it. what? And that's the thing about
3: a true society. Right, I, sorry, I'm Say that again?
1: I couldn't right. hear you. I'm sorry. Uh, no. no, my question was, um, do you think that this frame of thought has had any impact on like things like institutional racism?
3: Or- oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think my opinion, this is the way I I write it. I think uh, Darwin's theory was the most uh, virulent way, and I use that word intentionally, it was the most powerful tool for institutionalizing the racism that already existed. And so I do think that the phrase institutionalized racism makes sense, uh, but I think it makes sense within how we see it played out in history. So I talked about a few examples. Let me give you a new one. So, uh, actually, there, anybody can pick a book. There's a guy named James Whitman. He's a, he's a professor at Yale Law. And he talks about America's model, uh, Hitler's American model, how Hitler built his laws on, these, on the laws that the eugenists were having passed here in the United States. And so he traces. Now, he doesn't tie it to Darwin. And it makes sense why, because he's probably, you know, from that worldview, doesn't see that that's the philosophy behind why these laws came into place. But I'll give you you know, Jim Crow laws, uh, redlining laws, but FDR's New Deal, Roosevelt's New Deal. Do you know that the strongest supporters of the New Deal, that is, the okay, there's a bunch of poor people. We want to give government money is going to help the poor, right? Oh, it's for their good, right? But the strongest supporters were the Southern segregationists. Now think about why. They couldn't Black people were no longer on plantations. They couldn't control where people lived by law because these laws were falling out of favor. They couldn't do stuff. But if I tell you, hey, I'm going to give you money because you're poor, but hey, you've got to live in this part of the community. You've got to live over here where I'm giving you wonderful housing all because I care. So the segregationists realized that, hey, the best way to make sure that we're not having interracial marriage and and corrupting the human species Is to just be to be altruistic, to help them, to give them what they need. Um, That's that's really how it how it came about. That's how those things were were used uh, by these folks. So I want to bring it back to where we
2: started there, and with your sign right behind you of the Imago Dei, the image of God, because I am always beating this drum that worldviews matter, how we define terms matters and that, um, where we get our ideas of good, what's good, true and beautiful matters (laughs) that, that our our worldview is informed by scripture and, um, in this idea of eugenics and kind of how it just played out, you know, ethics from, from Darwin's scientific idea I think it just is such a great example of why worldviews yeah. matter and it, it can lead you to Absolutely. some dark places. Um, and so many parallels that come popping to my mind now of just making connections of what's happening, um, in, in the conversation we're having right now about critical race theory. Uh, cause yeah. we're now we're drawing from some other framework for what's good, true and beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> and assigning yeah. meaning to, um, People based on skin color but in a a little different way um my mind is just kind of going in a lot of different different ways i'm just wondering do you think that there's people that still promote some version of eugenics today or have we largely grown past that as a society
3: no i i think it i think it's alive and well i mean i there's a speech that uh uh that um one of the presidential candidates, uh, Bernie Sanders, I believe was giving, and I, I actually tried to look that up thinking about this show, um, but I couldn't find it, uh, recall all the details of it. But essentially he talked about how, you know, we need to make sure that we're, uh, the people in society are the healthiest and that we're going to use things like, again, it's things like euthanasia or eugenic practice uh birth control yes it's eugenic in its purpose it doesn't mean everyone who uses birth control is a eugenist but a lot of people's motivation for wanting people to use it is because they believe that certain people should not reproduce and you see that in climate activism today a little bit i think the idea that you know some people we there's too many human beings we've got to control that we've got to limit how many people reproduce and so we do that through you know Positive ways, such as like, well, the government's going to give you, you know, certain benefits if you limit your childbearing, or though if you have too many, the government will cut back benefits. I mean, there's people advocating all kinds of things.
2: Would would, would an that. example be in Iceland, for example? I've heard that they've nearly obliterated Down the syndrome. Down syndrome population. <laughs> yes. um, by pre pre screening, and, and abortions, and or the one child policy. In China, would you see those as being kind of modern examples? Yeah,
3: those are are modern. I'll give you, those are good examples too. Um, CRISPR, I don't know if you guys are familiar, with the gene editing technology that's out there. Um, Now, actually the transhumanist movement, the entire transhumanist movement, I don't know if you ever studied that, but that's really fascinating study as well. They're way more uh, upfront about their biases this way. Now they wouldn't call themselves eugenists because again, historically- A lot of that was built around, you know, skin colors and those sorts of things. But it doesn't matter if you say, well, okay, we all are equal. There's no difference between our skin color. That's why, this is why CRT took example, by the way, why race became a social construct because they couldn't have it tied to biology anymore because of the eugenics movement. So they had to say it has nothing to do with biology. Um, So everything became this social construct, but, but, Now we've moved it into, again, in the name of science, well, we can edit. We can keep these diseases from coming. We can keep these. And it all sounds good until you realize who's deciding what is a disease, who's deciding what qualifies as inferior, and what is the next step beyond evolution for the next phase of humanity, and how do we get there, which many people are talking about. And so who is it that we have to make sure doesn't reproduce certain characteristics and who's going to define what they are? And, and we're at a big period of flux, but it is around and the conversation is happening.
2: It, this is such a, a tricky issue, and there's so many um, ethical questions that, that are yeah. wrapped up in this, that's for sure. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, just even in my own life, I, I, you know I was pregnant twice and, and both times my husband and I said no to certain genetic tests or screenings for our kids. Cause we were like, we knew that no matter what happened, we were going to go forward with that. And, yeah. and so now looking back on that, I'm thinking, Oh, you know, w- that could be considered sort of a, a type of setup of mm-hmm. creating, you know, genetic, um, Purity, if you will, yeah, and it, it's just, it, but it's yeah. a widespread practice. It's what you what you do when you when you're pregnant, and so yeah.
3: it's interesting. It's it's where we have to be careful. This is why the Christian worldview, as you brought up, and this is why the whole focus of my PhD is on this. What is the best argument, the, the most coherent argument we can make that accounts for these things? That give us a, a way of looking at these issues. And again, I'm focused on race and racial reconciliation, but it's all applicable to these other things because no matter where you pick skin color, or if you want to pick, you know, a mental capacity as the standard, there have to be foundational ideas that say what makes humans humans, what makes us persons, what makes us sacred and anything I do can't violate that sacred nature that God has created us. And so you know, just to give real quick example, because I know I, I don't want to go too far in this, but you talk about Sanger, they finally acknowledged, hey, they're going to take her name off stuff in New York, uh, the building up there, Planned Parenthood. Yeah, <laughs> let, let,
2: let's talk yes, about yes. that because that that's a huge admission. In fact, we've got the yeah. press release from the the Planned Parenthood in in New York that they just announced that this week that they were going to finally yeah. take her name off. The, the, the but name big of the- whoop, they took her name off. They still didn't stop yeah. the practice. Yeah. <laughs> You're not suggesting that they actually stop abortions. Are you? Well, I mean, here's I, the thing. We're not just going to cancel culture
1: is that we want to get rid of all this stuff. And so I'm like, if she was a racist and, you know, out to, to do away with people of color to purify the race, then I said, do away with the practice.
2: Yeah, it's it's still disproportionately people. impacting women of color, well, especially in New York City. There's more black children that are aborted than are born or born. Yes, uh, that's deeply it, it just, troubling. It, Talk about systemic racism.
1: It is. Yeah. And there needs to. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. I'm like, y'all took her I'm name off the building. That's awesome. That. Yeah, great. But your practice I, is still
2: impacting millions
1: of black lives. But let's every talk year. about
2: Sanger. Cause this might be new for yeah. some people that she actually Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood at times seemed to make some statements that she was sympathetic to eugenics ideas.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So she, she was more than sympathetic. She, she had people who are eugenists on her board, uh, you know, she she allied herself with eugenics. Now, again, she was more for positive eugenics, not negative eugenics. She believed that people should have sort of choices to make and she didn't want the government necessarily imposing those, which is, uh, you know, which is where the people that have defended her have said like, oh, well, she wasn't a eugenist because she didn't, she was opposed to forced sterilizations. Yes, but that's not what defined eugenics. That's where, they, that's where they're uh, playing on, playing on some things so um but she was i mean here's the thing her worldview was very much you could have put her you could put her i think she i think she bought into the marxist philosophy and I, I more work might need to be done on this but i pulled this quote for you guys because i knew there's a crossover to this uh and this topic with crt and stuff you guys have been talking about in her book of civilization sanger wrote this altruism Humanitarianism and philanthropy have aided and abetted machinery in the destruction of responsibility and self-reliance among the least desirable elements of the proletariat. So what she's saying is that Christian moral virtues have been the most destructive thing in keeping people alive who otherwise would have died off. We're giving aid to these poor people when what we should be doing is giving them birth control so they stop having babies and being a drain on the society. Now, you start to hear the Planned Parenthood terminology come here. You know, oh, well, these people, I'm just getting abortion because I don't want to have a kid who will be a hindrance to society. People have been led to believe that that's for their benefit. But what they're doing is a, it's a shared practice of eugenics. Right. They just agree to the eugenic practice, but it doesn't make it any less reprehensible if you believe in Imago Dei, if you believe in this idea that we're all made in the image of God, the B'Tselem Elohim. So it's, it, it's kind of okay. the
2: choice element of, well, I'm choosing, I don't want the child to be born into poverty, and yes. so I'm choosing the abortion. This is all connected to um, this type of, what do you call it, negative eugenics?
3: yeah the positive versus negative yeah Yeah. but But it's an analogy go ahead ahead. i was
1: gonna say is it even real choice at this point or is it more brainwashing like you've been set up to believe this rhetoric for years upon years upon years and now it's just a subconscious running in your mind and in culture i don't know that it is really a choice i just feel like it's what the setup is
3: this is where this is where CRT is right in making an observation about how powerful narratives are mm-hmm. in being able to blind people to the truth of what's happening. They're right about that, mm-hmm. but they're wrong about many things that they're pointing out that fit that narrative. And this is a great example, and it's exactly what you point out is that uh, you know just because okay, so if I'm having if I convince a young person that oh you know. If, you know, I'm bullying some girl. Let's use the terminology today. So there's a group of girls and they bully a young girl. They, oh, you're fat, you're ugly, you don't deserve to live. And they convince her she needs to take her life and kill herself. Does that make their bullying any less evil or wicked because they didn't pull the trigger? So they didn't take her out into the woods and shoot her themselves, but they convinced her by, you know, this has happened, you know, with young girls, especially being convinced that they're so not, their, their life is so unworthy that they take their own life. We would say that's wrong, even though she took her own life. But we're doing the same thing with the unborn. We're saying that life doesn't have a chance. That life isn't going to be worthy of life. That's actually a phrase Hitler used, life unworthy of life. And... And and we've convinced them and brainwashed people, like you said, into thinking and buying into that narrative that it's compassion to end life for some reason. So this is this is very disconcerting on how we use this. Um, let me give you one real quick quote because I think it helps. In 1921, okay, so Sanger wrote a, a birth in birth control review which is a ma- this magazine she said the campaign for birth control is not merely of eugenic value so she acknowledged this birth control which is her bread and butter that has a eugenic value but is practically identical and in in uh, in bed with the final aims of eugenics so it's not only just has eugen- shares the eugenic values but it, the end goal the goal is the same that's why she even wrote that the Japanese problem on the West coast, too many Japanese people, uh, birth control is a great solution. She said uh, it'll get rid of the feeble minded, the, the, all these immigrants, but it'll get rid of the Japanese that we don't want so much. So it was her
2: issue. Cause there's a very famous quote with Sanger that she's uh, wants to find, you know, black preachers and a black doctor yeah. to help bring her message And convince black people to engage in abortions and or in, you know, population selection, if you will. Um, I I think that I guess I'm wondering in your research, have you seen anything like was she genuinely racist against black people or was it more about them being poor and she was just kind of against all poor people?
3: So yeah, I this like is where is than some, the other, no, but, they're not, okay. they're not one is a bit, but,
2: but I do think her strategy is interesting. She's like, I got to get some preachers because black people are very yeah. religious. They tend to be Christians and I got to get some doctors that sound scientific. Yeah.
3: Let me answer that through an analogy to a Christian person and and I'll get to that answer. And I, I see why people, I, I understand why progressives and those who defended Sanger do that and they, may have a technical, technically correct point to some degree. I'm not sure that they do, but I'm saying, okay, maybe if we squint hard enough, they're right. But, but here's an analogy. So you had Christians who were segregationists, who believed that whites shouldn't marry, you know, opposed interracial marriages. Uh, uh, the University, Bob Jones, you know, Bob Jones University. Right. Right. Up until the seven, you know, they, they opposed, you know, they didn't enter. They didn't allow blacks to come on campus and they didn't allow. Certainly they opposed it. Now, if you read his writings, what he talked about is he, he looked at the, the book of Acts and he said, look, God has ordained, he said, everybody nations for their own boundaries. So he said that, look, blacks are not inferior to whites. Asians are not inferior. They just shouldn't interbreed because God has ordained them for their own boundaries. Right. And so we're violating nature. We're violating God's design when we have interracial relations and have interracial babies because it wasn't God's design that they should inter- interbreed. So his argument went essentially this: So in heaven, yeah, you're going to have all kinds of people, blacks and Asians and you know Inuits and Eskimos and whoever, you know all oh, they'll all be there, they're all equal, but we just shouldn't be together in this life because that was his thing. So now no Christian hopefully today would say that that he's racist, right? Right? That's a racist thing. Now it doesn't matter how his motives were different and he said, well, we're still equal and all this other kind of stuff. He was still a racist. I would say the same holds true for Sanger in this case, is that, yes, it's true. When when she looked at race, she looked at this idea that there was one race, the human race, which now today, by the way, is, is racist to say that. But so then she was a racist. But anyway, uh, according to CRT, but- Uh, But there was one human race. So she wasn't racist against blacks like, oh, whites are better than blacks. She was equally discriminatory against many races, of many kinds of people, all the mentally ill, the poor people, people who are thieves or burglar, you know, made their living, breaking the law. She was uh, opposed to all of those people reproducing. Uh, So she would align herself with the KKK because it was convenient to her ends. So, uh, I would say that in my estimation, she was a racist, uh, she, but she was more than a racist. She was an anti-humanist, mm-hmm. which I think is actually maybe charged because she denied the sacredness of humanity. So even if you grant that she wasn't a racist, and even if I would, for the sake of argument say, okay, she's not a racist, who cares? She was anti-human, uh, in the sense that we would know, uh, and value the, the image of God in all people. Wow, wow, this is
2: this has been fascinating. I, it, I, yeah, it's been ahead. super
1: um, informative and helpful in understanding um, eugenics and understanding, you know, how it's played out in American history and in world history and, you know, how far it went into the 20th century. You know, you kind of think about these things like ending off, you know, like, it, you know, 1899. But no, <laughs> you know, like you can't have your eugenics turn up, you know,
2: in 1954, well, that's he, ridiculous. He, I mean, even now, if you look at the practices in in Iceland and yeah, China, it's and other still places, happening. For example, yeah,
1: you know, with with some um, oh, what is the word? I'm like with with some
2: just regularity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting so many comments. Uh, <clears throat> some of them, I'm not sure you're going to know the answers to, uh, Joe. But let me just run a couple of them. Here, our friend Jeremy wants to know, oh, where was that Jeremy question? All right. Um, I'd like to know what he thinks of the recent comments of black athletes and celebrities about African superiority. I'm wondering if Jeremy means like that Nick Cannon situation. Oh, that Nick,
1: that was a mess.
2: Um, Is this in the same spirit of of Mm -hmm. eugenics? Is it like a weird version of that?
3: It is. It actually really, really, really is. I think it it embraces some sort of neo-Darwinian worldview of of evolutionary, you know, some are better, some are less, some are more fit, some are less fit kind of thing. I think it has a worldview that denies the sacredness of all human beings. Uh, So philosophically, I think it fits in. We just did a show on this last Wednesday. A friend of mine who, who is a named Ryan, who's a church planter in an urban context, he gets this question every day as a as a black pastor in a predominantly black church. And we had we did a show called "Is Christianity the White Man's Religion?" But we talked we talked about the Nick Cannon quote, and yeah, it has definitely shades of eugenics in it to me because he talks about you know the blacks were gods and how did how did the whites who were closer to the animals, is how he described it, Mm -hmm. overcome the gods. So he's using Farrakhan's language. He's using a lot of, it's really a hodgepodge of philosophies, but he is borrowing. I mean, he's definitely not whole into anything. I don't know how well, he's borrowed from like 20 different sources to kind of have his own thinking, but definitely eugenic ideals and Darwinian ideals have been brought into that system. Uh, to make those arguments.
2: Well, I'm even hearing, I was talking to a, uh, an acquaintance of mine who is in the psychology realm, and she's saying it's very common now on psychology message boards that mm. psychologists are saying, yeah, well, white people are just genetically predisposed to racism, mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. that that narrative is building momentum in the mental health community. Well, I mean,
1: and not only that, like some of the... the- face the psychological facebook groups that i'm a part of are like actively teaching crt because they want um like white psychologists to be able to understand their racism to understand their white privilege to understand their whiteness and so um it oh gosh what is it called i actually know someone who teaches a class on um like CRT and mental health, how to decolonize your um, your therapy room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's definitely yeah. a thing it has been here for a while.
3: Huge crossover. Huge yeah. crossover,
1: yeah.
2: you're right. Well, thank you, Joe. I want to encourage everyone to get connected with your podcast, uh, morethancake.org, and people yep. can get it's- caught up with you. Uh, also, your other podcast, mm-hmm. Off the Cuff, with our friend Jane Pantig. And uh, we just bless all your work that you're doing there in San Diego with Ratio Christine. Thank you Christie, so much for coming on. The students, yeah, thank, you thank you so you much.
3: It's been an honor to be a part of your show. Oh, you guys are doing such a great job. Keep it up.
2: You brought some some great information for us and we're very grateful for that. It's been an extremely fascinating conversation. I yeah, learned a lot. It was so, good. Yeah.
3: Any, anytime you're bored and can't get one of those high quality guests, you have me back. <laughs>
2: Stop it. We'll keep you on the list. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Joe.
3: Take care. Of that
2: all night. right. Bye. Bye. Wow. Yeah. I kind of vaguely knew what eugenics was, but that was that was way. That's good stuff. That was that was crazy. That mm-hmm. that was some crazy stuff. OK. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. We got a couple more things to talk about here as you're looking through the comments. I want to let everybody know if you missed our up up conference last week the uniting people conference is the first annual conference oh. of what we're hoping for to do in uh each year um the recordings are now available so all you have to do is to go to center for biblical com slash up 2020 and you can get the you can buy or rent the the recordings we're going to release them on Tuesday you can download the notes from my talk and from Monique's talk you can pre-order you can find the link to pre-order Dr. Thaddeus Williams' book which was the source of his talk now here's a little trivia for you guess whose arms those are on Thaddeus's book whose I am sitting at the table
1: here with the arm model that would be me that would be me these arms yes
2: Yes, yes. Those are Monique's arms. Yes. On Thaddeus' book cover. Feeling fancy. Feeling you can, fancy. You can wow all your friends and neighbors with that little yes, piece Yes, I trivia. know those
1: arms. <laughs> I know those arms.
2: Okay, so you can go to, again, that's centerforbiblicalunity.com slash up. 2020
1: and I also want to thank um women in apologetics for all of their help they were amazing and incredible in everything that um, they put into making sure that our conference was a success and so thank you very much and then also to impact 360 impact 360 is um a discipleship ministry out in Atlanta Georgia just outside of Atlanta and they have different programs, discipleship programs, for teens and young adults. They have a week-long program for teens, a two-week program for teens. And then they have a um, a nine-month fellows program that serves almost like a gap year. Yep. And it- Um, Students go on a missions trip down in South America, I believe it's Brazil, and then also um, to Utah and do some mission work there. Then they have a two-year master's program. Impact 360 sponsored our conference, and all of the attendees received one of their courses for free. And so just thank you very much to the team at Impact 360. Um, It was a really, really awesome turnout and an awesome gift for for all of the attendees.
2: People love that you're the R model. Oh really? <laughs> Y'all go ahead and talk about them arms. Go
1: ahead. I ain't mad at you. Yes. Yeah. I knew her when. Stop it. Yes. See, but I had to, I had to do it right. I, you know, you gotta be like, hey, you gotta be fly with it. You know, you can't just <laughs> can't just have your arms like this. <laughs> oh, I used to take dance with a, <laughs> one of one of my dance teachers. If you would hold your arms like this, she'd call you chicken arms, and she would yell at you from across the room, be like, "Don't no chicken arms. No chicken arms." And I'd be like, "Okay, okay, sorry." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so I had to make sure I wasn't doing my chicken arms.
2: That's right. Okay, so people are getting ready for back to school. I know many of you going back to school get go. No, that's just a thing. Nobody knows it. anyone's going back, back
1: to school. To school. You mean back to the kitchen table. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm it for back to the kitchen table. What do you uh, mean? People back? just aren't completely sure what's happening. Nobody knows. Nobody every, knows. Every day it's like something different. Like,
2: hey, we're gonna go back. Ooh, just playing. Ooh, just kidding. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So, hmm. um, right now might be a good time to consider homeschooling <laughs> or reconsider homeschooling. I'm going to give the little pitch uh, because I think that a lot of people are so scared about homeschooling. It's not as scary as you think. It's doable for many more people. Now, I know that some people that have special ed issues and, you know, getting support for, for those people, those are the people I really feel like the saddest for that are, that are going through so much right now are people with, with kids that have special needs. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so so much of a struggle. But I mean it's a struggle for all of us, but my heart really especially goes out to people in that situation. So I sat down last night with my friend Brett Kunkel from Maven, and we talked about his webinar series that's coming up next week that he's doing with his wife. They're veteran homeschoolers. And we did a little short interview. I'm gonna play right now and Talked about homeschooling. It's a really great way for you to explore whether homeschooling might be for you. So let's roll that tape. Well, I'm here with my friend Brett Kunkel from Maven, and I'm excited to talk to him about an upcoming webinar that he's doing next week um, about homeschooling. Now, Brett, maybe you could talk to us about what prompted you to, to, to do this, this webinar series.
0: Well, my wife and I have been talking to a lot of parents who are looking at the fall and are now hearing of public and private schools that will not reopen uh, for the fall, like in-person classes. And so they're looking at another, at least two, three, four months, who knows, a whole semester, maybe even a whole year of doing classes online uh, and trying to manage all that. And so we've got a lot of parents who are saying, kind of this current situation is causing them to rethink what they're going to do for their education of their kids. And a lot of people are now asking, hey, maybe I should homeschool. But a lot of people are also uh, not quite sure where to start with that. And and I think there's also a misconception that homeschool means doing school in home. And so my wife and I have been homeschooling our kids for uh, about 12 years now and have learned a lot through the process, have come to really love homeschooling them. And so we just thought, hey, this is a great time to help equip parents who are maybe considering this for the first time, who are even new to homeschooling, or even the veteran who wants a refresher, who wants to be encouraged, who wants additional tools. And so that really motivated us to uh, put together this webinar.
2: Well, I know that for me, homeschooling was an awesome season of my life, and I'm always a big advocate to get more people into that conversation because there's just so many more resources that are available now um, than even were uh, when I was homeschooling 15 years ago. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the seminars that you're going to be offering. We're going to show the website here if people want to get connected and, and find out what you guys are up to.
0: Yeah, so we're going to do four days and there's going to be four main sessions. The first day, we're going to look at uh, the idea of beginning with the end in mind. Okay, so when we talk about our kids and we talk about education, what's the goal? And often when we, you know, we live in a culture, every one of us lives in a culture and the culture uh, simply presents to us what is the norm. And often we just, Adopt those views. And I think maybe unwittingly, uh, unconsciously, often we have adopted secular views of education and what our goals are for our kids when it comes to education. So we want to kind of step back and say, hey, what is education? What is a Christian view of education? And what would be the goals then that I would have for my kid as a follower of Jesus? that would inform how I do what I do, what I want for them when it comes to education. So that's gonna be the first day. The second day is then looking at the parent as teacher. What are my roles and responsibilities? Because I think a lot of people have a uh, th- this uh, misnomer about what a parent needs to do or needs to be equipped with in order to teach their kids. We often think, well, that means I have to know every subject inside and out to be able to teach my kids, and that's absolutely not the case. In fact, one of the greatest things about homeschooling is that you become a co-learner with your kids. You get to walk alongside them. You will grow yourself more than maybe you grew uh, intellectually and in your knowledge base in your own. Homeschooling. And it's actually a real joy to get to walk along our kids and learn with them in this process. And so we're going to look at the different roles and responsibilities that we have. The third day, we're going to look at the myths surrounding homeschooling. And of course, we're going to address the big myth of socialization. And That's always uh, and a
2: big one yes
0: now oh, that's the that's the, the the number one response or objection that i get when we talk about homeschooling and we're going to we're going to really unpack that and and, uh, and and i think answer that kind of decisively and actually see that homeschooling might socialize your kids better than any other system that's out yep. there. And then the, the fourth day, we're going to talk about uh, what a typical day looks like. What are some of the pr- very practical things that we we do in a homeschool day, especially now given the framework that we're going to lay out in the first day about Christian education, a Christian worldview uh, perspective on education. So those are the four uh uh kind of topics of each one of the days and i I think it's going to be a a, just a a very good uh comprehensive 101 for everyone
2: so this is sort of an invitation for people that are new to homeschooling or they're maybe they're just thinking about it trying the idea on want to find out is this for me this is an opportunity for them to really explore that a little deeper
0: yeah, it's definitely for those who who have maybe haven't even done homeschooling, but they're just considering it. But I also think this could be a huge benefit for those who have maybe just been doing it for a year or two. It could also be a benefit for those who have been doing it for a long while. Even if you're a, you consider yourself a veteran, oftentimes I think most of us, including my wife Erin and I, we we kind of kind of stumbled into it and uh, and, and really. N- at the beginning, at the outset, didn't give it, I think, the, 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 the clear thinking and careful attention to really developing a philosophy of home education, and really a philosophy of education from a Christian perspective, and how that really, I mean, really changes the game for us. And so I think even the veteran homeschooler will benefit from just tr- uh, really starting to lay out a, a, a careful ar- articulation of our uh, our, our the, the Christian worldview of education, what it means that it's more than just merely academic achievement. So, uh, but yes, definitely those who have never homeschooled before or just getting started, I think this is going to be a very helpful webinar for them.
2: Well, I want to encourage everyone to, to think about it because now is a great time it, to just really be proactive and take control of your kids' education and lead the way because Um, there's a lot of people looking for alternatives. And trust me, there are so many different ways to homeschool your kids. Trust me, whatever you think homeschooling is, it's probably not that. (laughs) It's probably um, something else or different options that you don't even know about yet. So go sign up for uh, the Maven Seminar Homeschooling 101 happening next week. Uh, Brett, give us the cost and and the breakdown and and all that.
0: Yeah, so it's going to start Monday, July the 27th. It runs uh, every evening until Thursday. We're going to start at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And, uh, you know, so that's 7, 8, 9 across the U.S., the cost for the webinar is forty-nine dollars, and that will get you uh, access to each one of the sessions. The sessions will be about forty-five minutes, and then we're going to do an additional forty-five minutes of live Q&A. So through the Zoom platform, people are going to be able to ask their questions, get clarification, uh, really, you know, ask the, the, the those questions that they uh, they really feel like they need to have answered before they maybe decide to take this step. Uh, we're, we're providing a PDF workbook that will have, you know, some outlines that will have additional resources that will point you in the right direction that will give things like sample uh, schedules um, from various homeschool veteran moms who have been doing this for a while and really trying to resource you. And I think, you know, I, I, I think parents really need to step back from the education of their kids and ask the question, Hey, if I've got my kid for about eighteen years in my home, what's that end goal? What do, what kind of kid? What kind of person do I want to cultivate and send out of my house? What are those lar- longer term goals? I mean, is it really is it is it, is it merely uh, academic achievement and going off to a good college, or is it something so much deeper? and and richer and more satisfying in terms of who they are becoming. And academic achievement is a part of that, but it's definitely not the whole story. And so I think it's going to be a great time for parents to really step back and reflect on what it is they want to cultivate in their kids' lives and what kind of ambassador for Jesus do they want to send out into the world.
2: Fantastic. And I want to encourage everyone, go check out... Brett's ministry. It's Maven is the name of the ministry. Maventruth.com is the website. You can sign up for the Homeschooling 101 webinar. But if you're a a parent, a child influencer, uh, youth pastor, children's pastor, teacher, you're going to want to follow Brett and his ministry, Maven, and get connected to what they are up to. Thanks so much for uh, talking to me, Brett. It was great to hang out with you for a few minutes.
0: Good to see you again, Krista. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, my friends. That was the no makeup edition. It was late. (laughs) You know, I wasn't even
1: there. Okay. (laughs) Let's just be clear.
2: It was late.
1: Like, no. Yeah,
2: it was the end of the day. But we do have a coupon. So if you want to go to the Maven conference, the webinar on homeschooling 101, Brett, I worked it out with Brett. We have a special thing just for our viewers. You just go when you, on checkout, enter promo code All the Things. All the things, all
1: one word. Don't separate it out. All the things, and it's maventruth.co backslash homeschool 101 when you check out use the coupon code all the things you get 20% off yes we love a coupon don't play no <laughs> games
2: yes and we're glad we could help Brett out and and just helping to get the word out about this great opportunity i had been asking the lord this week actually to do something on homeschooling mm-hmm. on the show and i just i just wasn't really sure what that could be when i saw Brett's post i was like yes maybe we can Get him on the show, so I'm glad it worked out. Awesome. So, yeah. All right, you ready for the Tweet of the
1: Week? I guess. Let's do it.
2: Oh, right, my friends, this is actually, it's not a tweet.
1: Kind of makes you want to, like, remember that old school dance? What was that, the, like the snake when you just kind of, like, hey, he's got to go I'll take it back. Yeah. Remember the bounce? We're like, Oh, I'm dating myself, y'all. When you do the bounce, you know you old, okay? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not playing. He's calling the, the bang head bounce, yeah?
2: <laughs> okay, okay I, yeah. All right. You should, you just, so the tweet of the week is actually. Oh, um, it back. oh, it's actually not a tweet, it's a Facebook I'm, I'm post. I'm still on the dance. I know. That's okay. Are you ready to move on? I guess so. Okay. We're going to have the post of the week. Tim Stratton, our friend. Now, you were on Tim's podcast earlier in the Tim's week. I was on Tim's
1: podcast uh, sometime this week. I don't remember exactly what day it was. It was Thursday. It was so busy. And yes. he, oh, so he ooh, tried to pay
2: bad. to promote or boost what's called boosting on Facebook. Boost your interview so it could propagate to more people. Unfortunately, it, fe- was it was
1: rejected.
2: The was the Facebook, Facebook was like, we don't even
1: want your money. <laughs> we would rather... Support Black Lives Matter, then take your money. You can keep your money. But I thought uh, Facebook I like, keeps inviting me to lift black voices. Not this black voice, it's some black voices. They need to um, modify that you know, with some black voices. Yes. Uh and then oh, there was something else I feel like where we were censored. But I think um part of and we talked about this earlier, part of our algorithms and things like that. Yeah, it's our, like they're they're on to us. This is why it's so yeah. important that you share the show that you, yeah. you know, like hashtag all the things, just get it out there so that Facebook knows that people are watching. I, I don't know if it's a double edged sword, like yeah. you know, people are watching, and so we kind of shrink them back. But it's real, still a good but thing when, that people are watching. Yeah. But yeah, when I, I feel like the more popular um, and the more our message gets out there, the more um, our algorithm tends to shrink. And so they're not,
2: uh, they're not, they're they've definitely yeah. pegged us because in the beginning yeah. they were propagating our posts to thousands of people, like during the riots and everything. But I think now that they know that we're Christians. And like, like your, your
1: post gets to four people. Yeah. You get to four people. <laughs> so, and one of them, we, ah, uh, so it's like somewhere on another side of the planet. Keep with
2: the posts. Keep, you know, liking, commenting, doing things. Because Facebook is definitely now in the mode of shadow banning us. It's big fun. So um, when T- when Tim posted that picture on today on Facebook, I was like, oh yeah this makes sense this 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 fits with what i'm mm-hmm. seeing in our algorithms yeah. is i don't know if they have your name pegged now yeah, it's or... like, hey that black voice right there but you know what we need to shut her
1: up right <laughs> uncle virgil in the chat on facebook in in the comments said he was still doing the bang head bounce oh you know when that beat come on real good I'm looking at myself in the monitor and I'm like, oh wait, I'm not on, I'm not on beat. But then it's it's a little second delayed, so that that's why I was like, wait, wait, what? Wait, hold on. So yes, help us Y'all look. do a Roger Rabbit. I don't oh, know what that is. kid and play. Do the fly? Ooh, these are the dances. I was like knee high to a grasshopper trying to
2: hang out with the big kids. Maybe we need a dance of the week. Watch it, watching, watching you do the
1: Roger Rabbit. Oh,
2: <laughs> yeah. So help lift Monique's
1: black voice yes well I mean okay let's be real like they're not even it's not even about the black voice when you look at the riots when you look at these black lives matter protests and all this stuff these ain't black people out there it's like 80% white people it's it's a liberal left kind of voice that is Antifa or Marxist or you know whatever you want to call it but I don't know that that anybody's really concerned right now about you know truly lifting the black voice I, that's just some of my thoughts on it I could be wrong but I do know that they are not interested in lifting every black voice yeah although do you know that's the black national anthem what it starts out with lift every voice and sing uncle Virgil I know you know this song (laughs) lift every voice and sing but they're not trying to lift every voice they not not every voice not every voice
2: all right my friends that's a wrap on this week's show we hope you enjoyed the content be sure to hit that share button hit that smash that thumbs up uh give us the like share 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 comment and all of that and um just help continue to spread the word because uh the shadow banning is real (laughs) so for um, one of the you know one of my things in theology is that all things must come under christ's feet and that includes social media And and we're always trying to use social media to the glory of God, YouTube to the glory of God, harnessing that technology and bringing all things under the feet of Christ. So, all right. Do you have any last words, jokes, dances? None. I'm all out. It is.
1: We have gone over. All right. our time. It is time for us to go. Bye, everybody. Have a good week.
0: Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.